You got your John Prawn ready to roll, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's not. I, I don't, that's so ugly. I, I legitimately i legitimately do not know where it came from and that's and that's I look, disconcerting i also looked up john prine because i don't know who that is and i listened to the first song and i was like is this like a famous person like i would have to i i would have to listen to some john prine i had never heard of john prine until he died whenever that it was, was like there. folk music kind of like a lot <laughs> I mean, I know who he is, but it's just like the idea that like one of us is is haunting around Charlottesville singing John Prine songs. <laughs> well, like, yeah, my, my favorite would be if like one of you guys is doing it and just like doesn't want to say. He doesn't want to say it weekends. All my spare time. Yeah, Dave sold the story years ago. He's just yeah. been doing John there's Prine. No, there's no second string sports. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. It's, my cover. it's so weird. Like, why? Where is he getting that from? And that's not the first time he sent that to us either. Yeah, it, that's a. It's like, and he's and he's very persistent, which I very much appreciate on some level. Welcome, everyone, to the CatsCorner.com podcast. CatsCorner.com, your source of Virginia sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CatsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place from Franklin States in the West End of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, March the 23rd. Virginia's basketball season has come to an end. The Cavaliers fall last night in a heartbreaker, 52-51 to to St. Bonaventure. Uh, in a game that it, you know, in certain parts, it was it was hard to see Virginia winning, and then other times, you it was hard to see them losing. But that's kind of a microcosm of their season, which we will now have to discuss because it is over, and that's just sort of what you do when you run a podcast and you talk about sports. You sort of talk about the team uh, before the season, and you talk about once it's over, which we will do. And speaking of seasons, it is spring season, spring ball underway in Charlottesville, and a, I'm guessing a whole whole host of other college towns, um, Cavaliers under a new regime with Tony Elliott at the helm, finally getting the chance to be out on the field. We'll talk a little bit about some of the storylines and, and various things we're looking for and looking into and, and expecting to see and all that fun stuff uh, this spring. Before we get started, let's go around and introduce everybody. First, up in Fishersville, David Spence is on the show. How's it going, my friend? Going pretty well. Another day where I don't sing John Prine in a bar and don't know anyone that does, <laughs> if you're curious. Who is on the board? At Who is on Twitter? Uh, such a niche joke. Uh, <laughs> I've been loud and staff ride Justin Ferber's on the program. How's it going, my dude? Way to blow my cover, Dave. <laughs> Actually, I wasn't in that tweet. So That's true. You didn't get tagged. I think that was like, you know, that was a pretty yeah, good they know, they, they know better. Um, I had Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. And managing editor Damon Dillman from Charlottesville was also on the program. Damon, how's it going, man? I will be opening for Rhett Miller at the Southern on Friday night with wow. my John Prank cover band. So You're come on out. What if you just went up there and were like, I'm just going to talk UVA baseball for 15 minutes and just kind of like give people the lowdown. Give the people what they want. I'm sure there are plenty of people who want that very thing. (laughs) At Damon Dillman on Twitter. Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items. And if you go back and search my mentions, you'll understand the last two minutes of your life. All right. Um, 
So, yeah, let's talk about Virginia's loss to, to the Bonnies last night. 52-51, as I said. Um, a, a really Another really good game for Cousin Armand. 17 points on 5 of 11. Um, I, interestingly enough, they were all threes. He didn't, he didn't attempt another shot, or excuse me, a, a shot inside the arc, I guess I should say, other than he, had, he was two or three at the line. Um, Reese Beekman fouls out late, and, and it definitely felt like to me that uh, Virginia's whole everything changed. Um, but at the same token, that game had been um, very frustrating in a variety of ways. It was almost like you could see that they, sh- they should have had a bigger lead and they never able to stretch it out. But then also, too, the times when they really made a run – it was a lot of it was based on you know St. Bonaventure making some mistakes. Uh, I kind of want to go around and get everybody's opinion on 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 this. Um, I I think that all of us understand the big picture here. We understand what this team was and wasn't. I think we've we've talked about that ad nauseum. We don't need to go into like oh what happened. Um, but I am curious. I, I mean, I don't think it would have been a bad thing by any stretch, right, for them to have won last night, played. And MSG, you know, tried to win the thing and all that fun stuff. Um, which I believe this is the last year that the NIT is going to play its final, uh, semifinal and final in in, a, in MSG. But at least for a couple of years, I think they have like a bidding process sort of thing, like gotcha. the Super Bowl or whatever. So, uh, you know, at least for a little while there, the NIT will move. Um, but I kind of want to go around and talk. I mean, I'm not, I'm certainly not trying to make the case that like it would have been bad if Virginia uh, law or excuse me won last night. But there is there is some there is some silver lining to uh, the team, the season being over, some of the decisions going ahead and being made, the cav- the coaches being able to to get into the transfer portal before the live period comes in a few weekends. And, I'm, and I guess want to get everybody's opinions on sort of like how we're feeling with the way it all ended. Because, I mean, personally, you know, um, we talked about this, you know, when the NIT announcements came. Part of me was like, hey, there's like a – there's a little bit of a – you know, the way you felt about – Virginia football and the bowl game. And then once, you know, Bronco was going to leave and they canceled the game or there was, you know, there's a chance that they were going to cancel it. It certainly felt like at the time there were a good number of people like, you know what, let's just turn the page. And I'm curious to get your, y'all's thoughts on turning the page. Um, Is it driven by the frustration of this season, Dave, or is it more about just, okay, let's, let's, let's see what else is next. What, what, what's driving you to, 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 to want to turn that page and be done with this season. I mean, the weird thing is, you know, after after they lost Carolina in the ACC tournament, like I was kind of, oh, you know, that was painful. Um, wasn't very into. I mean, I was going to watch the games because that's what I do, but I wasn't super excited about the NIT. But I mean, last night I was excited to come watch a game just because there was something to do after work, you know. Um, but once it ended, like, I mean, I wanted to win the whole thing once they started playing, of course. Um, but I think, you know, looking back, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I'm starting to turn the page, but I mean, I think there were a lot of positives to be getting out of playing three games, especially with Franklin kind of getting hot there. Hopefully some of that confidence will carry over for him into the offseason. And obviously, like every minute, those bulk of that team could slash should be back next year. Um, so more minutes together, it never hurts. And look, they, they played some pretty tough teams. Um, so, yeah, I mean. I forgot what your original question was, but yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I was kind of fond turning the page just because I felt like, you know, what we talked about before, like this team, I think they kind of not based on what we thought they were preseason, but based on what we saw they were, I really think they kind of 
achieved almost all they could have, you know, achieved with, with the pieces they had, um, you know, a shot here, a shot there, and their record's a lot different, and they're still playing. Yeah. I, I think one thing is we've talked about Ferber this, you know, these last few weeks, and certainly throughout the course of the season, was, you know, we all understood that this team was flawed. And, you know, you talk to folks around the program, and I think everybody sort of understood that that was sort of the, the, the nature of the beast. And yet, Tony almost drove this thing to the NCAA tournament. There's, I'm, in some ways, you should kind of, like, be impressed by it, right? Um, but ultimately... You know, I thought your tweet last night did a really good job of, you know, kind of summarizing the season. And I'm just curious, now that the page is turned, do you feel like that's more frustration from just the way it played out all year? Or is it more about like, you know, this was this was a known commodity. Let's see what's next. Um, Probably a little bit of both. I think what Dave said, a lot of that was true. Um, you know, then it's hard to like. That's my goal, man, to be partially true. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, it was really true. Um, I was underselling. That's partially true, brother. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I think it's hard to swallow the NIT after you've been in the tournament so many times, you know? Like, it's hard to take it super seriously. And it seemed like the players did, which, you know, I'll give them credit for that. Um, but, you know, once you start playing the games, it's like the – especially the last two, you know, Mississippi state seemed like a team that knew their coach was going to get fired. And, you know, they, they made it competitive a little bit, but you know, they were, they were running out the clock. Um, the last two games, I mean, those two teams wanted it, you know, and um, UVA had to go out and play and they just didn't make enough plays last night at the end. But um, you know, like I, I, part of the reason I'm excited to turn the page is because I, I believe in the future. So right. I think, you know, with the recruiting class you have coming in um, and then the guys you have back, like, I think that maybe one of the most um, hopeful things about the NIT was that, you know, I thought there were definitely some down moments in it, but um, I saw a, some promising things from guys that are going to be back. And it makes you remember because that North Carolina game was rough. And I'm glad, I'm kind of glad, honestly, that they didn't go out that way. Um, because it would have been kind of a, a rougher transition to the offseason. I thought, you know, like obviously losing to St. Bonaventure wasn't great, but, um, you know, like Armand Franklin really kind of got it together and it seemed like in that tournament. And you hope that maybe he can use that, you know, like momentum he has going into the offseason and try to be a different guy next year, you know, a more consistent guy. And, you know, Jane Gardner continued to have good moments and, you know, last night I thought Shedrick was up and down a little bit, but he had some good moments, especially when, you know, St. Bonaventure was playing smaller. Um, and there were definitely like, I think that, the, you know, what I said last night was basically like, it was a disappointing season given where the program's been. There's no other way to put it. I mean, you'd be dis dishonest if you were saying like, this is what UVA basketball should aspire to be. Um, even if, even in a down year, given what they've been doing in the last few um, you, you hope that your down year is like a first round exit in the NCAA tournament, but I mean, that's just not the reality. Um, and there were still, even with the down year, there were still plenty of, of good moments that, um, were, were cool in the moment and, and, and show flashes of what this team could be next year. You know, beating Duke obviously was the big one, but the two wins over Miami, um, the win over Providence kind of made you think they might turn a corner. Um, you know, beating Virginia Tech at home, you know, you're never going to say no to that. Um, 
you know, the way they closed the season out, but after they lost to Florida state with a nice win over Louisville, um, you know, there were, there were some, some moments. I, we never really felt like they were going to turn the corner and be great this year, but like, at least it gives you something for next year and beyond that um, they can kind of get back going. So overall a disappointing season, but um, you know, I, I've seen other people say this, you win 20 games, you go 12 and eight in ACC. Like a lot of teams would be happy with that season. Yeah. Um, if, a lot if, of coaches if that's get contract extensions. Yeah. If that's as bad as it gets, then, then uh, hopefully like, you know, that gives you some hope for what they can be next year and beyond. Yeah. Damon last night, Jeff and I both asked Tony essentially, you know, very similar questions about sort of what was the takeaway. And he talked a lot about sort of the way this group stayed together. And I, and I was thinking about that on my drive back last night, just the idea that, um, you know, while these guys, you know, to Ferber's point, like you never got the sense they were really close to, you know, really turning the corner. Although there was a, I guess a moment, you know, they put together that little win streak and they beat Duke and, you know, there was that moment, but um, like overall, like, you know, I think a lot of folks just sort of, you know, thought like, Hey, um, their ceiling is is pretty low, um, but they did a good job of maybe keeping the floor um, a little bit f- more lifted than it could have Above been. Above water, right? yeah, well, yeah, because like these guys, like you know, I, I think that most people don't understand how easy it can be for teams to just kind of lose themselves, right? Well, Especially Tony when said that last night too, right? Yeah. Yeah, especially, yeah. you know, the idea that, like, you know, this is, you know, he made this point last night, right? Like, the idea that, like, look, these guys have come into a program that has a certain expectation, you know, being where they are, um, you know, there's pressure that comes with that. And I almost wonder if you're, when you're really growing something, um, if you you don't have these moments where you have this sort of step back that you don't really get a chance to sort of see what it looks like. Clearly, you win a national championship, you see a banner, you understand, you know, what that felt like, you understand what that was. But now, you know, to Ferber's point, like some coaches would have had the season UVA had, um, you know, record wise, you know, results wise. And that would have been like a, you know, uh, a boon for the future. Right. Like, hey, this is going to be OK. Look what they you know, they were able to win 20 some games. And here it's like, you know, the, the apocalypse is uh, descended upon JPJ. Um, but in terms of the, the bigger picture, do you feel like that frustration was driven more by the, you know, sort of the the the. The, the undeniable aspect of this team or just the, the opportunity to turn the page. Wait, what frustration? I'm sorry. I got lost there. <laughs> no, th- what, I, what we were talking about was, just, you know, the idea of the, you know, there a lot of folks I think were just ready, right. Ready for it to end. Ready was to that, move on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Was that, is that frustration from just the way this thing looked or is it because folks are just, you know, really just ready to see something else, something different? Yeah. I, I think, I think there was a certain degree of it's, it, it wasn't the most, not that, you know, it ever there's always going to be the narrative of, of around UVA basketball of, of in certain corners that it's not the most fun style of basketball to watch. But this year, I think especially that there may have been some truth to that. It was it was it wasn't always very easy to watch this year. So I think I think a lot of people were ready to move on since this season wasn't going to result in. It's one thing when it, it's it's you know it's not the most up tempo style of basketball, but it's leading to 25, 30 wins and a trip to at least the second round. I mean, the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. So, and, and obviously this season, given, like you said, Tony touched on last night, what the expectations are externally for this basketball program at this point. And this team just for whatever reason, lack of talent, just isn't gonna, wasn't going to be able to live up to those expectations. So, but, but yeah, I think, 
I, I, I agree with everything that, uh, that has already been said. I think it, the, the value of these three games in the NIT were, uh, I wanted to see who was going to be this, this year's Justin Anderson mm-hmm. basically is, is the way I went into this NIT looking at it. I wanted to see, remember he played, he seemed to take another step in those three NIT games in 2013. He led the team in scoring all three of those games. He had the big game, hit a bunch of three pointers, uh who did they lose to iowa Iowa, yeah yeah he he scored in the 20s i think he had like 23 or 25 hit five three-pointers in that game and and he really treated that nit run as a building block to move forward in the the rest of his career i wanted to see if somebody was going to be able to do that in this tournament and they got three games out of it and i think I know it's been touched on, but I, I, you, you have to hope that the way Franklin seemed to find something these last two games can now carry over into this offseason, into this summer and into next year. And, and he can find more consistency as an outside threat on this team. Um, because the, if you go back to October and November the, the, and, and even into December, January, February, a lot of the narrative around this team and Tony would talk about it a lot was they just hadn't played a lot together. Right. And in Still some new, cases, yeah. yeah. And and in some cases like Shedrick, for instance, hadn't played a lot at all. Um, and that's no longer the case. Uh, these guys have played an entire season together. Now we don't know who will be back. Who won't be back. Mm-hmm. Will Kihei be back? Will Cody be back? Uh, will Gardner be back? I'm pretty sure he'll be back. The other ones um, we'll have to wait and see on. But, but these guys have played a season together. Now they all have played a season in Tony's system. Now Um, they've played these three postseason games. Now they've had gotten that experience to build off of going into next year. And now it's just a matter of once you know, who's going to be back and what you have coming back, augmenting it, which I realize is the whole, you know, what comes next, but but it's it's there are pieces here now. We have a better idea of how these pieces can play together and what each of those guys can bring to the table. And now, obviously, Tony, I I'm trying to remember the last time I heard that uh, that tone from Tony Bennett in a post game. Like, yeah, it was very interesting. It's like if you yeah. read the words, if you read the words, it sounded harsh. But if you if you heard him say it, if you watched him say it, it sounded like borderline like. Um, not, I mean, he was definitely serious. Don't get me wrong, but it sounded almost like motivational, but also yes. matter of fact. It was, yes. it was a very interesting tone that he had. To, it sounded like he was speaking directly to the player. Right. He definitely he was. wasn't mad. He wasn't mad. He wasn't exactly. Mad, but he was yes. being honest. He was being he honest. Twice, and he was being, right? Yeah. He said it in two different, the, two different the answers. Second two different ways. Sounded different. The second yeah. time was, this was like a, if you didn't hear me, hear me now. Yes. Um, it yeah, was a the first one more pay attention yeah to it yes but like i don't i don't i mean i don't know if you guys can remember i can't remember a time that he had that kind of tone in a post it was that, i mean just the words first or second year maybe once. yeah <laughs> where it's like you know like I, I don't remember him ever being like i mean i'm sure he said things like you know you have to be committed to the defensive end to play but like i've never heard him be like some guys are gonna have to decide if they want to hurt like yeah it was more reflective than that that means that to me tells me he's talking about specific yeah, the yeah. closest I can remember is remember that year he he was like, look, guys are just going to have to decide whether they're going to be good at defense or not. Do you remember that? He was talking about um, that was gosh, like was that last season? F- 
No, that might have been parts of last season too. He was talking about like guys just need to look in the mirror. He oh, talked, that was he said, definitely look, last season at some point. Yeah, he he talked about guys looking in the mirror, and again, he wasn't saying it like you know in a you know fire and brimstone way. He was definitely saying it in like a motivational yet very like plain spoken. The this is going to happen or not, right? Like either you're gonna get you're, you're either gonna be with us or you're not. Um, I don't think I think you know if you just read it, you could like read it to think like, oh man, does he think there are some guys who don't care? Because he he consistently talked about the character of the young man. He consistently talked about um, you know how how close knit they came, and that was one of the yeah. Things that's he said what's last so night. weird about it is like the the, the is like the locker room we had was right. You know, yeah. Like, I think he just means like he wants like, more. Yeah. He wants more out of his guys, and he has an expectation of them doing more. And frankly, like I think that's exactly the message these dudes need because. What we saw, like from a potential standpoint, you could look at every one of the dudes and you would say, okay, if these guys played up, you know, the main rotation dudes, right? If these guys played up to their potential, they can beat Duke, right? Like think about that Duke game. And um, granted, that this is not like a vintage Duke team, right? Even their one and done dudes are not quite, I mean, Bancaro, I don't think it came anywhere close to having the season that I thought he was capable of having. Um, but even so, like that's a, that's a good team. That's a talented You're team. still playing. And they're still playing exactly, good and they point. beat them in Cameron, which and they beat them on the road, right? Happens. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think part of this is that, like, if you looked at each player and you thought, okay, when this guy is at his best or in that range, right, this is what the team could be. The problem was is that very rarely were you know more than maybe one guy on any given night kind of in that range. And as they move forward, you know, Damon's point about their experience is is very well taken. Like these are guys you can't say they're new anymore. Now, granted, they got some new pieces coming, and we know those guys are going to play some. We know that there's probably going to be at least one redshirt decision in there that fans are going to get all riled up about. But you know, if you think about the roster as it as it currently is constructed, um, you know, and I, I think for the for the discussion purpose of this on this episode at least, we should we should at least. You know, as as has been mentioned, that technically guys can come back, but I think it's fair to say that Kihei and let's just assume that Kihei and and Statman, who guys who were recognized on Senior Day, aren't coming back, and that Gardner is coming back. I feel like if you look at the talent that they have returning, you can make a pretty good case that they're not there. You know, they do need a couple pieces. They clearly need a guard, somebody who can score. Probably wouldn't be a bad thing to get a six eight six nine sort of bouncy big who can play right away, right? You're not having to put so much on on Trout's shoulders. You're not having to put so much on the younger guys right out of the gate. Um, but I think we understand McNeely's going to probably going to play. Um, it, it it's actually very interesting to think about. I think the thing that I will, the thing that sticks with me about this team is that in in most years Virginia has several guys who are you know main rotation guys who come back. And you don't have as many questions to answer for them. This team had guys who had experience, but these guys did not have necessarily experience playing together. And there, and a lot of them had questions, right? So you had two guys who were transfers. So how are you know what that, that's an inherent one. Shedrick because of his health and him having not played but so much that was part of it. Beekman Clark, how are they going to coexist? Um, you know, obviously Kihei becoming a better shooter this year really helped. Beekman taking that really next step defensively certainly helped. But overall, when you think about the way the pieces fit together, it was it was problematic at times. And as you look forward, you can see some of the places where it, it's not going to take a whole lot of glue, but you need some glue to keep the thing stuck. And I kind of feel like what we learned, especially during this postseason, is that 
um, while they could, you know, when they were when they were all right and they're kind of pointing in the right direction, you know, the team can be pretty pretty solid. But otherwise, like they got a lot of work to do, and that was certainly the message that Tony came to post game with. Again, he was not angry. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. It's very different than reading the quotes in black and white. Um, but I think he was being very real, um, and and in in his own way, very like you know he this is it sounded almost to me like a conversation he's going to have with each one of these guys in their exit interviews. Like he, he like led us a little bit behind the curtain last night to see that, if that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. It was definitely like, and I mean, not to go too far down this rabbit hole, but like usually after in a post game setting like that, Tony's so focused on what just happened and Mm -hmm. there's another game, there's another game to go. But last night was like about as reflective as I feel like Tony's going to get. Yeah. And very rarely watching. does he not just talk about the game that just yes. happened. Yeah. And like, like you said, kind of very much more so than he ever, um, than he typically does. It was, it was interesting. It's also like, I think part of that too is, you know, the questions you get, but also like when you lose an NCAA tournament game, you're not going to get a lot of like, what's next year's team going to be like questions, right? Because like the stakes are different. You know, your, your season is sort of raw um, in its conclusion. Whereas like with the NIT, it's like your season is in a sense already over. Um, you know, you're not playing for a championship anymore, like a, like a, an actual championship. Um, you're playing in a tournament that can mean something, but you've already put the idea of like this season sort of like is the die is cast is already like come up. So then you can be a little bit more like, Hey, you know, like, how are you going to like turn this into next year's team? Um, And that's why, you know, even before the NIT questions, like, are you going to play younger guys were brought up because it's, it's not the same as the NCAA tournament. So um, I think that might be a factor as well, but yeah, certainly interesting comments. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing that stood out. I mean, I read, I saw the quote before I went back and watched the, watched the, uh, the post game, and when he said it the second time is when I was like, oh. Um, and what's weird to me is, it's so point like it's hard not to know who he's talking about, right? <laughs> you look at guys who aren't. Playing I think it's a lot, pretty obvious. It's got to yeah, be you look, those at, guys, you look right? at guys that are on the bench and aren't playing very much. Yeah, and there's only a few of those that have scholarships. You know, he's not talking about Chase Coleman. Not talking about Malachi Boindexter, like so. It's, I mean, it's out there. Um, so it's interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, he, he talked about having the exit interviews coming up. And look, I mean, there, there's a lot. You know, these, the coaches spend a lot of time and energy and trying to build these players. And you know, I guess your fear as a coach nowadays is, you know. Is he going to bounce? You know, is he not giving me much effort because he's going to bounce? And if he's going to bounce, I want him to bounce now, not after I spent a whole another year trying to get him to buy in. You know, um, so it's a whole different world. Not it. I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about this at some point in the future. But you know, when Tony leaves Virginia, um, it'll probably have something to do with all the. You know, unless they kind of figure out this transfer thing and make it a little more easy to deal with. I mean, something like that could become frustrating for a coach like for a coach like Tony, who really believes in development. So, it's something to keep an eye on. But you know, he also knows what he's got coming down the pipe. So, you know, do you want to? It's going to make for a some interesting roster discussion. Um, 
you know, I'm sure we'll get into it, but yeah, you know, I, mean, I anticipate some changes, you know, that maybe a surprise or two, but um, all that said, there's a lot of good pieces coming back. So if that statement wasn't directed to someone, it was to light a fire under the returning group so that they've got a great foundation to add these young pieces to, which we should have learned from this year, not to count on to de- deliver like huge numbers. They're just going to be. Well, I think Tony kind of issued a disclaimer yeah. on that last night too. Yeah. I yeah. Think yeah. That's kinda, right. Yeah. He kind of made it, you know, cause I'm sure he's aware that there are people who aren't happy about how much time some of those guys played and, he's very much aware of the excitement of those guys who are coming in next year. And I think Tony wanted to issue that disclaimer that like, look, don't expect these guys to come in here and play like 25, 30 minutes game yeah. game right away. They're going to, they're going to have some work to do too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that, I think that anybody who really pays attention to EVA basketball year of year should know that, you know? Um, right. And, the, and honestly, they haven't really had a guy like, uh, like, I'll be honest with you, if Trevor Keels was on this team, like, assuming that he wasn't, like, a complete disaster on defense, he probably would have played a lot, you know, because he's that good. Like, he's, yeah. like, a top 10-ish player, not, like, a top 100-ish player. Right. Um, and so, like, I think that can be the difference. But I also – I was thinking about this last night. Um, the – you know, we've talked a lot about – and I, I think it's definitely true, like, some of what happened this year is the – is the result of roster turmoil and the losing guys in the portal and, and the COVID and uh, Trey Murphy leaving and all that stuff. I think at this point in college basketball with the transfer portal, the way it is, and especially for UVA, a team that you can get a lot of good players coming in as freshmen, but there's no guarantee that they're going to automatically like translate to starters. Um, I think you almost have to like, and this is easier said than done, but you almost have to like have, have your contingency plans ready now. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you can't, you can't be like, well, we'll figure that out. Like when it happens, it's like, no, you have to like, almost, you have to have redundancy is what I'm saying. Like um, you mentioned like having a bouncy big if trout isn't ready. You almost have to like do that because yeah. what if, what if he, what if he gets here and he just isn't quite there on the defensive right. end and can't play or like, yeah. what if he gets here and hates it here and transfers or what if he gets here and is better than you thought and leaves and goes right. pro. Yep. it's uh, after two years it's like you have to have all of that stuff mapped out and i know it's it's a mess for a coach and you only have so many scholarships but especially for a program like uva where you're depending on guys to be around like kentucky doesn't have this problem because right. they can just return new yeah. guys do you know what UVA, you know what it like, is though you have to have like contingencies on contingencies you know you know what it is it's the exact opposite of the way it used to be right because what, what was the case several years ago you couldn't have redundancy because if you had too many guys whose skill sets overlapped, you didn't you you weren't going to get playing time, and then they were going to transfer. This was before the portal. This was back in the yeah. old days, right? And now it's almost like the thing is flipped because the portal is so prevalent, and you can go and get guys and such, right? You just have to assume that these dudes are going to leave, regardless of whether or not you have that mm-hmm. redundancy. So to Ferber's point, like you almost have to like go have it anyway, and basically sort of like let the cream rise to the top and then whatever dudes, you know, feel, you know, like they want to go somewhere else, let them go. But you got to be ready for all both, whether the kids are any good and also whether they're too good or whether they're just don't, they're not good enough. It's almost like you're on one and done, but like in a different way. Yeah, exactly. You you have to always prepare for it that way. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of truth to that, but I think, you know, the, the one thing that does make Virginia different is how Tony recruits, right? He's recruiting character. You know, he's recruiting guys, 
Bennett guys, the guys who buy into the system. So I think he's got a little more room than like a Calipari who's literally just mm-hmm. recruiting them to, to be that. So, yeah, they know I what think, they're getting themselves into yeah. to some extent anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you've got to have, you got to have plan B's all the time. It's just the, the trouble for Virginia is what makes them good is you can't have to plug in four plan B's mm-hmm. as your main guys, right? You've got to have a good core, whether it's three or four guys that have been in the system. Then, so like take, you know, let's assume we don't get any surprises and you get Beekman and Gardner and Franklin and Cafaro and Shedrick um, back, you know, other guys who played a lot of minutes this year and you add the guys coming in. Um, you could make an argument that the one piece that would be nice to add is a springy big that could play three, four or five, or at least four or five. Um, just because it creates different matchups you can put on the floor. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing they're going to need all the time. Like, yeah, there's never going to be a time that where could this be team trout. doesn't need. We just don't know. That's true. Yeah. There's never going to be a time where this team, like you can't have too many bouncy bigs if you're UVA, right? Because no, you need somebody who can hedge and you need somebody who can rebound. And this team and screen. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And this team really struggled with, you know, a lot of the sort of fundamental things that Virginia basketball has been really good at. And I feel like on some level, having some redundancy to Ferber's point, which I think was so well said, like it, you if you don't have that and you do you do you know, approach these kind of choppy waters. You're left with, you know, taking flyers on kids. And listen, we're gonna ha- we're gonna talk about basketball recruiting and sort of like blueprints and such at a later time. Um, but I think the taking flyers thing is it's a way of the past. Almost, I, I, like, I, I really hope so. And this is listen, and, and you I just have to say, take transfers. Instead, yeah, there's yeah, there's know? no disrespect intended here, but I I think that it's it's not a it's not a secret that if you look at Virginia's success, the guys that Virginia has been successful with are largely. Highly rated guys that Virginia won early. Right, exactly. (laughs) Highly rated kids they liked and closed on early, right, and then developed. Or transfers who came in who then developed and they played well, right? Very sat the year. Exactly. Very rarely do you get a kid like Kihei who didn't have a bunch of scholarship offers and comes in and makes a real meaningful contribution right from the go. Um, And you could look at this team and say if they had a different point guard, right, that the, that the thing would have been different. Would it have been worse in some places? Absolutely, right? But it also would have been different in others. And I think that that's a fair thing to, to, to kind of look at as you move forward. And again, we're going to talk about recruiting and stuff as we move down the road. Um, you know, we got lots of off-season time to talk, and um, certainly there's going to be a, a lot of, uh, of eyes on not just what the, they do in the portal, you know, do they get back involved with some 22s, how much space do they have. Um, anybody who's new to this, we – we don't we don't like to speculate here on who's going to leave and who's not and all this nonsense. The only reason I even said that's part about Clark and Statman and the extra years because they went through senior day. So at least in some ways, the information they've given us thus far is that you know they expected that that could be their last game. Um, everything. And else, I'd also this, say in the last few years, it's like less predictable than it used to be. True, that's very. It true. used to be like this dude never plays. He's been here two years. He's moving on. And yeah. now it's like. I don't know. Like, I mean, random, like it hasn't been a big of a problem for UVA, but like random dudes just go in the portal, like, because they're just yeah. like, I'm, I'm burned out at this place or like, you know, whatever. Cause they can. Well, so, and a lot of, and I'm, and like, this is just the reality of it, right? Is that a lot of these guys are getting really bad information, right? There's some back channel, you know, Hey, coach so-and-so told so-and-so who told so-and-so and so-and-so. And next thing you know, guys are in the portal and then look, and then you see like this guy is transferring from like a power five school and you look at his list of schools interested and you're like, Ooh, 
Like that's rough. Yeah. Or you get like, I don't think this will be as big of a problem for this UVA team necessarily, but you know, if you're in a middling team, it's like, I want to win somewhere. Like I'm done with this, like going 16 and 15, you know, if you're at, I don't know, Clemson or whatever. And you could be like, you know what? Like I, I have a role here, but I'd rather have a role at Ohio state, you know, and just move on. Um, so it's, you know, it's hard to know, but yeah, I, I think it's going to be an interesting off season. I think the, the springy big, I would also say like a ball handling shooter. Um, you can get one of those. That'd be nice. Yeah. Well, and, and that, I mean, I think that that sort of speaks to the, the, the evergreen, right? Virginia, you know, you think about what, what that 2019 had team had. And if you think about the way Kihei fit, another ball handler on the floor that freed other guys up to do other things and gave them, you know, matchup, um, um, you know, potential. Right. Um, I, I still think that, you know, I asked Tony this question and he, he didn't necessarily go into it. I'm, I'm guessing that this is something that'll take some time is like the lesson that they learned. Like a few years ago, they watched the tournament, you know, the, when they got blown out in Orlando that year. Right. They watched the rest of that tournament and they kind of came away thinking like, we need, like they watched these tournament teams and they're like, we need more ball handlers on the floor. And that's directly what led to them, you know, still looking for one late in the, in the, um, in the cycle and, 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 and going to peach jam and found in Kihei. Right. Um, and they added Nigel Johnson the year before that. Exactly. After that, like, after they that knew they loss. needed ball handlers and, and that's been something that's been consistent. I wouldn't be surprised, you know, watching a lot of these tournament teams this year for me personally, at least all I'm seeing are just plus athletes, right? You know, not necessarily like six ten, six nine, but like six six, six seven, but athletic dudes, right? Who might not be the strongest guy, but they're also not the weakest dude. But they're just bouncy and they play. Um, you know, they can get loose balls. They can, you know, sky for rebounds. They can, you know, hit jump shots over guys. They can play good D. Um, I've seen a lot of like really athletic kind of two way guys in this tournament, and. I wouldn't be surprised if one of the things that comes out of it for them is that they might want to start recruiting above all else, athleticism first and foremost. Um, yeah, and it's got to be that you know that six seven six eight guy because I mean, if there's one problem with this year's team, it's you couldn't go small. Yes, because if you went small, it was super small. Yes, because Gardner had to play the five. Yes, and you know if you and get Gardner's like an undersized four. Right, exactly. He's a twin. So the, the other teams would do was was put their you know their um their stretch four in the five spot and just keep Gardner away from the rim and then so you didn't have a DeAndre who could eat. like I mean DeAndre would be, play better in the as a five than than uh, Gardner did because he's just more versatile. He can cover more dudes. Um, so yeah, I think if there's one position that that's the one I'm looking to fill because it, you could and you know just as I don't take a flyer, but. You know, he's talking about high schoolers, but taking a flyer on a portal guy who maybe isn't very offensively gifted. Oh, yeah, I think that's a, a defensive stopper. Somebody that's more guy. proven, yeah. Yeah, yeah for um, sure. I think to me that makes a lot of sense because yeah. you're, you're bringing in some guys with more offense. You've got some guys coming back who can score, but it would be nice to have that versatile piece that can play right. three, four, five. You know? Right. Yeah, right. We, we sorely missed this year, sorely. Yeah. Let's um, – Let's let's put a bow on basketball, no pun intended, because it's the end of the season. Um, and real quick, I I think for me, you know, the greatest need for them as they look into the portal, it, to me, I think it's clearly a guard who you know who can shoot score. Um, 
but I think it's got to be a guard with size. Like I, I think they got to get back to the days of having the longer guards. Um, so I'm going to be really picky and say it's not just like go get you a guard or go get you a scorer. It's go get you somebody with length. Um, because realistically, like if you put some length with Beekman, all of a sudden that defense just changes dramatically. And it takes some of the pressure, I think, off of McNeely a little bit. Um, which he will probably get the, the bulk of it because, you know, he plays in the pack line. A lot of the offensive stuff is similar too. Um, if, and if I feel like guards have a slightly smoother transition. They do. Yeah, they tend yeah, they tend to because yeah. there's not – Like Kyle not Guy much, played a lot as a yeah. freshman. Yeah. yeah. He, they, he and Ty both went through that phase, you know, where they didn't play much and then they kind of kind of came back to him and it worked yeah. out pretty well in the long run. Um, but real quick, let's go – Dave, we'll start with you. The thing you, you're looking for most for them when they start looking at the portal. Yeah, that, that the six seven six eight rage you got, yeah, um, yeah, that guy. Ferber, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's definitely true, but I I want to say just more shooting. Like, I know that they're bringing some in in this in this freshman class, and that's great, but like, you you just can't win in modern college basketball if you can't shoot. And Reese improved in that area in some ways, and then Franklin, I, I, he's sort of a wild card, I think, because. I think he has the tools to be a good player. And that's why I thought he'd be much better this year. Like he has a, he has good mechanics. Um, it's, it's not that, you know, so if he can figure that out, then he can be really good, but I don't know if you can count on that. So I would like to see them add more outside shooting and, you know, you saw what it did for them the year before this one, you know, with, with Murphy and Hauser. So yeah. guys like that can, can make a big difference. All right, Damon, finish this up. Yeah. Ferber stole mine. I think you got to go out and find another shooter. Uh, I mean, maybe you find a, a bouncy stretch four or stretch five. I don't know, but you need somebody who can knock down. You need one, somebody else who can uh, uh, make make shots from deep. I, I think we saw this year how much that kind of. I mean, this team was flawed in a variety of ways, but that was that was one of the most difficult ones to overcome. So you can never have too much shooting. Yeah, I agree. you had everybody just running basically the pack line against UVA because yeah. they were like, yeah, I dare you, every, they're yep. daring light off. Yep, like, yep. And yeah, then you can't drive or do anything, so then it makes everything more difficult. For sure. All right, let's let's change gears and talk spring football. Um, obviously, new coach, new new everything. There's a lot of work to do, um, but I think there's a lot of reason for optimism, um, at least in terms of there's a lot of there's a lot of. Cl- I mean, I, I saw Tony make this um, analogy, right? The the idea of you know molding the clay, right? There's a lot of there's a lot of material there for them to use. Um, we, we talk a lot when we, you know, in Springs and, and, and certainly, you know, when we get to like preseason stuff, we, you know, we're like, all right, what's the, what's the top storyline or what's the, what's the thing you're looking forward to most? I think the fact that like Tony Elliott, like, and I, and I, I know I've said this before, but he just really sounds and feels like a football coach in a way that, you know, if I'm being completely honest, Bronco just never did. And, and that continues to be the case. Um, his decision on the numbers and just just give numbers. I thought was super fascinating to me. Like as soon as he could, he just got that thing done and, and was like, you know, wash his hands of it. Um, obviously, you know, spring practice has only been underway a, a little while. Um, but Damon, what's what's really stood out to you um, so far in your in your you know interviews and and different availabilities and such? Which which stood out to you thus far? Yeah, I think to to take your point a step further, like that felt like a football practice yesterday. Um, 
I mean, I, I realize the other end of the spectrum is pretty extreme, but remember Broncos first spring football practice when it felt like anything but a spring. And, and I know like the circumstances were a whole lot different and, and Bronco was uh, really dead set on establishing this new culture and everything. But, but like, it's just, and to your point about Elliot, like it was really interesting. Granted, we only got to see about 30 minutes of practice yesterday, but he was bouncing all over the place in those 30 minutes. Uh, they, most of it was spent outside when they were outside was spent in, in position drills. So the different positions were in different corners of the, uh, the practice fields and Elliot was bouncing around and he was, he was, he was bouncing toward guys. He was talking to guys, pulling them aside, talking to them. Uh, and just this, this, this energy he brought that you contrast that with what it was like under Bronco when you guys were at Bronco practices. He, I mean, you never heard the guy's voice. Uh, he just kind of was stoic. You could tell he was just kind of soaking it all in. He's very much the CEO. Uh, and not he barely one, rarely said a word, period. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You never, like, I when he, the first practice last summer, when, when he lost it on, I think it was, uh, when he, when he, yeah, 2J and Papinga, wasn't it? He yeah. cursed yeah. at them. Like, yeah. we all just, like, collectively our together. jaws dropped. Yes. A sign yeah. of things to come. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, little did we know at that time, but anyway, like not that one is better than the other. It's just different, but it's just such a contrast in styles between these two head coaches. And I'm sure Elliot had a lot of adrenaline. That's his first spring practice, first practice as a head coach. I'm sure he had a lot of excitement and adrenaline, but, but that to me was the thing that struck me. And, and I mean, the rest of the coaches too, they had a lot of energy as well, but that's, you know, they're football coaches. They're, they're, they're ACC coaches at this level. That's kind of to be expected. But, but the big thing that jumped out to me was just that difference in energy from the head coach. Uh, it was kind of like, it was Mike London-esque from an energy level standpoint. Remember how he was kind of the same way and he would kind of work his way around the field and, and uh, check things out. Um, Elliot just had this bounce to him. And that was the thing that really struck me yesterday in the time we got to watch. Ferber, as you've seen everything that's come out so far, what's 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 been the thing that's uh, got, gotten your attention the most? Yeah, I'm going to save I, – I know Dave will probably mention this, um, but I was really, you know, like obviously I wasn't there, but um, my big takeaway was just like listening to his comments. I, I really enjoyed his um, honesty and like he was very forthright about what it was like for him as a first-time coach. Um, like – just keeping track of like, where do I need to be right now? And cause I don't think people realize this. It's like, you know, if you played like high school football or whatever, it's not <laughs> like that. Yeah. Like yeah. they have these periods where it's like 10 minutes and then they blow a whistle or a horn goes off and then you go do something else. Uh, it's not like, Oh, you do your calisthenics and then you go work out with you. It, it, it's not like that. I mean, they do obviously some seven on seven, 12 or 11 on 11 stuff, but like, it's a lot of moving guys around and it kind of like, keeps you on your toes um you know when you're watching you're like oh now they're going to do one-on-ones and i can see how that could be like for a first-time head coaches getting all that stuff organized because you have to have those periods organized ahead of time and and coaches need to be it's very that was one of the things that impressed me about broncos organization was that thing you know it was like a military operation like you know period to period people were going where they needed to go and he was yelling i mean not yelling but there was like emphasis on guys not getting to the next period quick enough and stuff like that, which was sort of missing from the previous regime, regime. But um, 
I enjoyed his honesty about his own role and like getting a feel for that because I think humility is a big part of these jobs. Like a lot of these coaches, um, they just, I mean, they're just egomaniacs because you almost have to be to be in that sort of a role. Um, uh, and I just don't get that sense from him at all. Like, I feel like he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm learning this, you know, learning this as I go and doing the best I can. Um, and then also I, I appreciated his honesty about, I didn't feel like we, we were, we were where we needed to be offensively in terms of uh, urgency and things like that. Um, it, it just felt to me like for the first time it was listening to him talk about it. It was sort of his thing, right? Yeah. So much yeah. of what he's been doing from when he got the job to now is like, Hey, Bronco laid a great foundation and I'm just getting my feet wet and I'm still getting used to everything and getting acclimated and we're going to go out and recruit and you're going to get a coaching staff and all that stuff. Now it feels like it's like he's actually running his own thing. Um, and it was cool to see that sort of transition and, and see that, I don't want to say that like the honeymoon phase sort of feels like it's over. And it's like, he's like, now I'm holding dudes accountable for what they're doing in practice. And like, I have expectations. So I thought that was really good to see. All right, Dave, what you got? Yeah. I mean, a lot of the same. Um, I mean, I don't want to sound like sour grapes. Like I like Bronco. I talked about, we've talked mm-hmm. about him for what, five years, six years. Um, you know, and he came at a much needed time. You know, Mike London, you know, that David brought up, he was the ultimate rah-rah guy. But the problem was he didn't have any structure behind it, right? It was kind of a, you know, um, the exact opposite of Bronco. You know, yeah. No details, all rah-rah. And meanwhile, Bronco, like, thought the rah-rah was just a waste of energy um, at times, you know, especially when it came to interacting with media and how we describe practice. Yeah. He deferred a lot of that to his assistant coaches too. Like he's like, that's your job. Like, you know, you get guys motivated. And look, both ways can work. And look, if, if Elliot turns out, we could be all foolish. We don't know. Uh, That's the beauty Mm -hmm. of college football. Um, But yeah, it was refreshing. It was the word I, I used to describe it. Just, you know, candid, self-deprecating at times, um, quick and kind of engaging. Like I, I just enjoy listening to Tony, um, have his press conferences. Cause I think you do get a little bit of Tony. Elliott. I mean, a little bit of uh, what you liked about Mike London and you're getting a little bit of what we liked about Bronco, um, but in a completely different package. So, yeah, I mean, that stuff ex- excites me. Um, football being back period kind of excites me. So, but it's interesting. The one thing that kind of hit me today as I was watching, you know, kind of clips of the open practice or yesterday, whatever the heck that was, um, was it, you know, the big thing when Bronco came in, taking over a losing program was like, he's got to get his guys in here and get his culture here. Um, right. But Tony also has to get his culture here, which is not, uh, it's not Broncos with some changes. It's his, whatever his vision is. Yeah. You don't just um, keep it the same. Yeah. Yeah. So like that's, I think that's an interesting dynamic uh-huh. because not very often in college football, unless a coach takes a job somewhere else, which doesn't happen a whole lot in the ACC as, as it does in the SEC. Um, like most of the time you're coming in replacing a coach who failed. Right. So it, it is a unique situation. How do you make this your team? Um, because you want them to have success or touches on it and have them have success. Otherwise this is essentially Broncos guys. And you have to worry if you haven't gotten your culture in enough, if you have adversity, do they start thinking oh, Bronco didn't do it that way? So yeah, I think it's something we all are going to see play out. Um, it's just, you know, right now, whether it's, you know, this is the time he's got, because essentially everyone on this team right now, except for the, the um, 
you know, Camp and um, Chandler, right? And Davis yeah. Lane and Bracey and, two, and all yeah. those guys. But, but, but those are still those Broncos guys were recruited, recruited by, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the one there's only two guys on the roster right now is essentially they're participating in spring that Elliot and his guys went and got. So it is a lot of Broncos guys. So it'll be interesting spring. I mean, I liked it. I mean, from a, I mean, it's pretty clear when you see the clips, like exactly what we know we're going to be watching. It's offensive line and defensive line because there, there are not a lot of numbers when you look over that offensive line highlight. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was excited to see spring ball, um, kind of see what develops. And I mean, I, I, not to change the subject completely, but I was just so knowing practice was happening yesterday morning. I just got to thinking, like, wonder how sick Lavelle Davis is on his stomach right now. Like this has to be the most nerve wracking thing. So I was glad to see him get through it. And kind like of just going out and running that. through the drills and stuff. Yeah. Cause you know, he got hurt in that first one last year. Um, God, I mean, I still remember getting that text from you. Brad sent that text and I was like, Oh no. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, spring ball always scares you from that aspect. You know, it's some, Someone's going to get hurt inevitably. Yeah, just, that's true. Got to hope. And then like Chico Bennett also got hurt like the same yeah, day. Right? Same day. Oh, yeah. yeah, same practice. I think that must have been like a, another, a muddy right? field or something. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. I think it was just those two for a, for a while, and then I think somebody else went down. But my my brain is yeah. is letting me down. Listen, I feel yeah. like on the Tony Elliott front, and and look, one thing about spring ball is that like, yeah, you you're, you're we're we're all, we're going to talk about sort of like what what work is being done, and and you know. When we see some more stuff and and we'll have a chance to sort of talk through like what 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 it means, I, I wonder if if there if there has been a spring that was both less consequential and more consequential than this one in the sense that like normally in spring you're following like okay one what what positions are guys playing right who's playing what are they doing where are they in the pecking order right that's sort of what you're paying attention to you're also paying attention to like what are the what are the coaches coaches focusing on right. Um, because that tends to sort of imply sort of the what they think they need to to work on the most going into obviously summer and and the prep for the run up to fall. Um, this one is different for obvious reasons, right? Everything is new, and I and I wonder if like some of the lessons, so to speak, that you might the, the takeaways, so to speak, of, of this spring are a little nebulous because that might not mean a whole lot, and yet at the same time it might mean everything, right? Because Clearly, if you look at some of the decisions that the staff made pretty quickly, you know, in terms of like, for example, in the defensive backfield, right? Like they didn't I mean we, we looked at the at Virginia's, you know, secondary the last couple of years and we all kind of shook our heads. Right. They don't tend they don't at least they don't seem like they that they think that that needed an infusion of different players. Right. It seems like a, you know, a talent it, the talent acquisition part is is fine. They feel like it's a it's a skill development thing. Um, but for me, you know, you go from you you go from spring to spring to spring. Spring is the time when you're supposed to be the most excited, right? You're supposed to be you know you're you're supposed to be jacked because everybody's getting better. Um, you know, it, I think for fans, it's like it, it, there's no there are no losses other than you know injuries, right? Like there is no like there's nothing bad in spring. Like you're supposed to be excited. And I'm sorry, but if you watch anything with Tony Elliott right now, you think about all the best from Mike London, all the best from Bronco Menall. You put him in a in a blender, and it, and it kind of does feel a lot like Tony Elliott, right? I said this initially when he when he taught when he you know he would do media appearances and stuff. Like he feels like a real football coach in a way that Bronco didn't. 
but he still has a lot of that sort of Bronco mindset in him. He's got experience in the sense of like having been there and done that. He knows what success looks like. Um, and at the same time, like, you know, he does have a balance between the rah-rah and sort of the, the um, you know, the structure part of it all. And I feel like that's what, that's what this team needed. Just like Bronco was in many ways what that team needed, you know, after Mike. And if you're a fan and you're really excited, I think everything that has come out so far, you should just, you know, you'd be over the moon about it, right? Yeah, this is now his baby in a way that it, it just simply was not, even through recruiting and naming assistant coaches and stuff. Like, it's that still felt like he was kind of, he was kind of like figuring out how to p- pick the bag up, right? Like trying to figure out how he was going to like attach it. And now it's his and he's carrying it. So now it's like, okay, what are you going to do with it? Um, and that that's exciting, man. Like that is, that is really, that's really exciting and very interesting and compelling in, in a way that few, you know, few spring practices really are. But I don't know. Let's, uh, let, let's, let's pick one thing we want to track the most. I mean, for me, the reason I'm asking this question is because th- I don't know if I've ever heard, um, you know, coaches talk, you know, there's a, a record setting quarterback who has a stable flow of wide receivers back and all these dudes want to talk about is running the ball. Right. And I find that like, I mean, clearly they need to run the ball. Like I'm not arguing against this. I'm not dumb. Right. But it's very, it's just very interesting to me. And that's something I'm curious to see, it, you know, when we get to the end of the spring, did they get the work done that they felt like they needed to on that front? Like, do they feel like the running game is taking steps in the right direction? That's something I feel like, from a very, you know, football nerd sort of perspective that I'm really curious to watch unfold. Ferber, is there something specific that you're curious to sort of watch unfold over the, the next month or so? Yeah, I mean, I thought that what you just said is funny because I forget who it was. Somebody asked um, about the wide receiver group, and he was like, oh, yeah, they're good. They'll be fine. <laughs> they're talented. Um, I think, I mean, it's hard to say. I would say the offensive line just – because they have such a lack of depth and new guys, but I mean, he was pretty frank and I, it's hard to disagree. Like a lot of the guys that are going to be playing for them aren't there yet um, because they're transfers that'll be there in the summer. Yeah. Um, Yeah. For me, it's like who, like what, what guys that were a little bit further down the depth chart at any position sort of emerge, Um, especially on the defensive side of the ball, because, you know, last, last year, and, and I guess maybe the year before, it just felt like they had a lot of guys, like especially in the secondary, just waiting in the wings, you know, and they never really got their shot because they were behind seniors or older players that, you know, may have had good moments, but overall weren't just weren't playing very well. If you just look at the stats and, you know, with eyeballs, like they just, you know, there were, there were a lot of issues, a lot of breakdowns and, you know, you kind of, you can't just assume that the guys behind them are better, but you'd like to see what happens if they got their shot. And um, I'm interested to see, you know, how the meritocracy of that sort of stuff works under this coaching staff. And um, especially on the defensive side of the ball with the new defensive coordinator, I think that'll be kind of interesting to track. The meritocracy. Listen to you. Yeah. I'm not saying Bronco wasn't playing the guys that earned it, but. You know, no, I, no, at the same I, time, I, no, like we, you could, we, you could make a case that some of those guys lost their playing time by how they had played, but didn't actually like lose their playing time. Like, I agree. They just with kept you. playing. I agree with you. All right, Damon, what about you? Something, you, what are you looking forward to sort of keeping an eye on as, as all these things unfold the next few weeks? Yeah. 
Yeah, I just want to see what the defense looks like. I, I you know, what what they're running, who they're using, who kind of like Ferber was talking about, who kind of emerges, whether it's in the secondary, like you know, alignment, like what's a guy like Mike Green look like, or some of the other guys we haven't seen. Uh, Deshaun Perry's another one. He's he's a guy who's played a little bit, but we haven't seen a lot of him. Uh, and some of those guys on the on the D line. Um, it was interesting that that it was the D line that Elliot himself singled out yesterday after practice. He mentioned Sue. He mentioned uh, Ben Smiley was the other one he mentioned. So, the yeah, I mean, I think this uh, when we, I mean, we didn't go a week last year during football season without you know talking about the struggles of the defense and. Obviously, that was as good as the offense was. The the defense was, uh, I mean, I don't know if you, you could probably say just as as at the opposite, just as bad. Uh, they really struggled last year, and so if they if this team's gonna, you know, take that next step, I know there are a lot of questions, a lot of changes, but even with a mediocre defense, think about what that team would look like last year, you know. And can this be at worst a mediocre defense this year? And how is that going to look? And uh, you know, so that to me is, is, is the thing I'm going to, I'm most interested in seeing how it kind of takes shape over the course of these next few. Cause even when we talked to, uh, Radzinski, whenever that was last month or a couple of weeks ago, whenever it was, he, he, he was being kind of coy, but at the same time, I think he was also being kind of honest in that they don't know what they want to run yet. Cause they want to see what they have over these next 15 practices over the course of the next month or so before they truly have an idea of what they want to run and what's going to work with the the pieces they have in place. So it'll be interesting to see how that all kind of takes shape over the course of these spring practices. And, and then that can kind of set the foundation going into the summer and into uh, into fall camp. All right, Dave, take us home. Yeah. I mean, they both kind of touched on some things I was going to say um, defensively, like, you know, it's very, there aren't too many defensive coordinators that are truly multiple. Right. So I'm, I'm very interested to see how that pans out. Cause I think there's, if you're truly multiple and you've got, you're able to coach, uh, you know, three man front, a four man front, a, you know, a bear front, whatever you're going to do with them. There's enough pieces, I think on the defensive line to make it a unit, but it's like, I mean, I was trying to rack my brain thinking, you know, you see a lot of offensive coordinators that can do it multiple ways, but you don't see a lot of defensive coordinators that do. So that's going to be fun to watch and kind of see what he puts together. Um, Sometimes like the NFL defensive coordinators can do it, but yeah, it doesn't happen a lot. Yeah. I mean, they, but they all have something they, they're like married to. And I, I mean, yeah, there's I, like I a standard defense based defense. I mean, I think Rudd's is, is a three man, a three down man, you know, three man guy. Um, so I mean, three you should look man. at that. Yeah. Three man, man. Um, but I mean, as much as, Justin alluded to it, like, you know, Tony said, you know, a lot of our offensive line pieces aren't going to be there. Even with the transfers and the, and the freshmen coming in fall camp, um, let's say even if they add another grand transfer, you still need to get three, maybe even four starters out of the guys that you have here or starter able guys out of the ones on the roster. So, um, you know, you'd like to see some development from them. Um, so I think it was like Furnish, Cagle, and Justice Johnson working at center just based on a little bit of drills we saw yes. uh, in video the other day. So, um, yeah, that, and that's going to, you know, if there's one position that's got some continuity in coaching and, and knowing play, players, it's the offensive line. So I think if Virginia can come out of the spring 
with three, maybe four guys who they think are ACC starters um, or capable of starting in the ACC, that gives them a jump on fall camp. And that's probably the best you could ask for um, because that ultimately won't be decided until fall. Well, um, lots of lots of things to discuss in the in the coming weeks, and certainly we will be all over it soon. Damon will get his wish, and we were gonna we're gonna start talking baseball now that uh, basketball is behind us uh, as well. Because I mean, there's definitely a team across the street that deserves that uh, that coverage, and we're gonna give it to them. So um, they've got a lot to work on <laughs> from the results. <laughs> uh, I'm just I'm still not entirely sure that Jake Galloff is human. All right, they if you're somebody the ball more. They want to. <laughs> oh man! If you're what a great there, baseball wow. family that guy comes from. <laughs> wow. Uh, again, all night with the niche jokes. Okay, can I can I land the plane now? Thanks. All right. If you're somebody who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your programs. And if you're so inclined to give us a rating and review, we appreciate that. Now, if you're somebody who's found the pod but you haven't given us a look at the website yet, you can check us out CavsCorner.com. Right now, you can read. Um, look, there's going to be a bevy of stuff on the aforementioned baseball team. We got video from of like Brennan. We got stuff with Tony Elliott. That's so weird to have two main, you know, the two revenue coaches, you know, named Tony. Um, recap of of the first practice. Um, you know, there's an of, episode of The Sopranos called The Two Tonys. Is there really? Yeah. Is it? Does it have? Does it include two T's or no? Um. Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I want to thank my perfect franchise for uh, their support of the website and also of the show. You can visit myperfectfranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. I also want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. And, of course, I want to thank Dave Ferber and Damon for giving graciously their time as always. I very much appreciate it. So, for David Spence, Justin Ferber, and Damon Dillman, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon. That's